Okay, this morning's reading is Psalm 4, which is page 544. So it's page 544, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. Thank you, Fran. I wonder if you knew that coming to church was a dangerous thing to do. Because every time we meet here, we we can and should expect to be changed. This morning isn't about information, it's about transformation. That might happen dramatically in a moment, or it might happen bit by bit over the course of years. Today we might be transformed. And as we're going through the Psalms this term, we're being transformed into worshippers. Or rather, I should say, we're being transformed as worshippers, because all of us worship someone or something. The Psalms help direct our worship. As we read Psalm 4 just now, and as we consider it, we are joining a heavenly choir. Here we're taught perfect pitch and beautiful harmony, not just in our singing, although it was beautiful this morning, but in our daily lives. Worship is more than singing. Worship is the whole of life lived in a Godward direction. And we can find this terribly, terribly difficult. We might be full of praise one minute. We might be wonderfully aware of the presence of God at the start of the day, but the next minute we're a million miles away. By the end of the day, our heads are so full of other things. I suspect most of us know what it's like to lie our heads back at night and for sleep to just completely escape us. Thoughts chase their tails around your head. You try counting sheep, but a woolly worry pokes its head above the fence. Thankfully, in Psalm 4, we have an evening prayer for sleepless nights. On occasions when sleep uh, was hard to come by um, in the past years, I've bookmarked Psalm 4. And I think as we work through it, you might uh, find that helpful as well. It's a prayer of King David at the end of a distressing day. Throughout this psalm, it might be helpful to imagine him kneeling at the side of his bed saying these words. But while it begins with distress, it ends in peaceful sleep. Verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Wouldn't that be a good thought for us to end each day with? Truly understanding this psalm 
leads to a peaceful night's sleep. Um, But first, here's the key to understanding how this psalm is relevant to us. I've said this is a psalm of King David, king over Israel. But as with all psalms, its fullest meaning comes on the lips of Jesus, king over all. That's the kind of interpretive framework that Jesus himself used when he quoted the psalms. He thought they were fulfilled in him, so we do the same. Now, let's learn to sing this psalm in three-part harmony. The king's distress, the king's appeal, and the king's prayer. So we're looking for peace at the end of the day. But we're starting with the king's distress in verses 1 and 2. Answer me. When I call to you, my righteous God, give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Last week, John was preaching on Psalm 3 and he said that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 go together. So I had to rewrite my sermon. (laughs) No, I'm lying. He's probably right. Um, Psalm 3 speaks of waking up, uh, so maybe it was like the the morning uh, prayer for the same distressing day. Uh, The occasion for that psalm was when David ran away from his son Absalom, who had won over Israel and declared himself king instead. But here David's distress isn't focused on his rebellious son. Rather, he's cut up by the way his people have treated him. Verse 2. They're turning his glory into shame. He should be sitting on a throne. Instead, he's hiding in a cave. He should be honoured and adored. Instead, he's on the run. And he's distressed about the lies that his people have believed as well. They've been sold false narratives. They've believed um, empty promises. They are deluded. They're looking to false gods to provide the prosperity and peace that only God's king could provide. And of course, this is so strikingly true on the lips of Jesus. Do you think he's unmoved by a world that curses his name? Is he not distressed by the delusions that we have fallen for? Many of us remember the account of how Jesus arrived at Jerusalem on a donkey. We've probably got that picture uh, etched in some of our minds uh, from children's Bibles but there's, there's one detail from that image that none of them include, and it's a really important one from Luke's gospel. He's there riding towards Jerusalem on this donkey, but none of those pictures include the fact that Jesus is crying. When we get to uh, Luke chapter 19, eventually I think we will go back to that. Um, as Jesus approached the city, riding on a donkey, his tears fell to the ground. Weeping, he said, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus' people, like David's people, missed out on peace because they loved delusions instead. Yes, some of them welcomed Jesus. Others rejected him. Um, No one understood him. And soon all would be shouting, crucify him. They, just like David's people, would soon turn their king's glory into shame, the most awful shame imaginable. But David and later Jesus knew what to do with their distress. Verse 1, 
David brings it before his righteous and merciful God. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. He knew that while nobody else was treating him with righteousness, he could count on God to do what is fair in the end. And while no one else would treat him with pity, he knew that God was a abounding store of mercy. That we have a righteous and merciful God should be a comfort to us too. But here's the main application for us from these verses. Do you realise how much distress you have caused your king? Our hearts have a throne room which uh, is which belongs to that which is most precious to us. Um, there's room, there's plenty of space for family and success and all those other things we love. But in the middle of it, there's a throne and only Jesus belongs there. It's reserved exclusively for him. He's our creator. He's the savior of the world. He's the ruler over all things. He's the only one that can bring us peace. So he gets to sit on that throne. However, each one of us has kicked him off and dragged him out and kicked him into exile. We've all loved delusions, false, empty promises, false gods. We give them the throne that belongs to Jesus. Where do you ultimately search for peace? On those sleepless nights, where do you send your thoughts for comfort? Plans for financial security, lists to make you feel in control, dreams of applause and acceptance. We drift off to sleep hoping these things will give us peace. But they're false gods that can never give us anything that lasts. Peace for a moment, sure. But lasting security and rest, never. They don't belong on the throne. And seeing us in that position cuts our king to the heart. That's the king's distress. But here's our second point. Here's the next thing we need to hear to bring us peace, even in our distress. Verses three to five. We hear the king's appeal. In these verses, he's not speaking to his father anymore. Rather, he's speaking to us, his people who've turned his glory into shame. Listen out for the commands as I read these words. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Three main commands here. Know, tremble, offer. Um, these are the three commands from the king. This is David's appeal to Israel and Jesus' appeal to us. It essentially describes a conversion experience. This is how to become a Christian. This is how to continue as a Christian as well. It's the very same three steps that we must take every single day. First step, no. David's people chose his son son Absalom instead of him. But David wanted his people to know that his claim to the throne was unquestionable. Uh, remember how that little shepherd boy was chosen as king. The people's king, Saul, was tall and good looking. 
David's elder brothers, they were all way more impressive. They were older, they were stronger, they were more popular, the more obvious choice. But it was little David who was anointed because he was chosen by the Lord. The Lord set him apart. The Lord considered him a man after his own heart. His ear was uniquely open to hear his prayers. And Jesus wants us to know that about him too. His right to rule is unquestionable. It's from the Lord. Other leaders are going to seem more impressive. Other belief systems are going to be more popular. But Jesus is the one who reigns. He is uniquely set apart above all others, uniquely on speaking terms with his father. And all the power and peace and prosperity of God flow through him. This first step is about letting go of those other false delusions, empty promises, false gods. This first step is about knowing that it is Jesus and only Jesus who reigns. If you're falling for delusions of prosperity and peace elsewhere, you need to know this. You need to know who Jesus is. Once we know who he is, all our dependence on other gods just evaporates, melts away. We bow to him alone as king. Second step, tremble. Um, We've seen in the Psalms already that when we find out that Jesus alone is king, our first response isn't actually joy. If Jesus is king, then our first response should be to shake like a leaf. In our sin, each one of us has played a part in turning his glory into shame. It's like each one of us took a go at swinging the hammer that nailed him to that cross. In our sin, we are collectively and individually responsible for Jesus' death. And this is the one who rules and reigns and judges with all the power of God. Sinners should tremble. But this isn't a fear that makes us run away. Verse 4. It shows that this is a trembling that results in turning from sin and searching our hearts. Again, our king speaks of those times where we're alone with our thoughts at night. And this is a key part of um, my conversion story, actually. Uh, I was only young, but my days were full of all the things that kids care about. However, it was those times at night when all the noise gets stripped away that I was able to really consider my life what mattered to me, what I was going to do. Would I face eternity with Jesus as my judge? Or would I face eternity with Jesus as my saviour, the one who loves me? I thank God for those nights where I could think about those things. Tremble. And third step, offer. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. For David's people, of course, this meant the the sacrifices of the Old Testament system, bulls and goats and lots of blood. The whole Old Testament was dripping in the stuff. It was really gory. must have been very hard to be a vegan back then. But it was a bloody reminder that the penalty for sin is death. And as King Jesus appeals to us, he speaks not of those sacrifices, but of the sacrifice he himself offered his blood to cover our sin. 
Are you trusting the Lord for this? Maybe you're someone who lies awake at, light, at night with those nagging thoughts of insufficiency. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough for my parents. I'm not good enough for my boss. I'm not good enough for the, own, uh, the, the standards I set myself. But the sacrifice of Christ means God declares you are absolutely 100% good enough. You are enough in Christ. Whatever your flaws, whatever your shortcomings, whatever your sins, God declares that you are righteous when you're trusting in that sacrifice. No, tremble, offer. The path to peace will always elude you until you answer the king's appeal. And finally, the king's prayer. Remember, we're, we're picturing this king kneeling at his bedside, last thing in the day throughout this psalm. And what's he going to ask God to do with his people? They've turned his glory into shame. They've brought, they've brought into delusions and false promises. What's he going to pray about these rebellious people? Maybe it's going to be like last week. God, please punch them in the mouth. Lying awake at night, um, I'm sure many of us can relate to the sort of the feeling of rehearsing conflicts with someone who has done you wrong. But thankfully, King, Je- King David and King Jesus choose a different route. Verses six to seven. Many lords are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. David's in exile, but he still has so much compassion for his people. They've abandoned him, but he has not given up on them. Even at a distance, David hears of their poverty. They've loved delusions and sought false gods, as we've seen, and they're feeling the consequence of that. Their poverty is a result of their own actions. It's their fault. But he still has compassion for them. As they cry out, who will bring us prosperity? His heart is moved to pray for them. His attitude could so easily have been, oh, I'm just going to leave them to their own con- the con- consequences that they deserve. I'm going to wash my hands of these people. I want nothing to do with them anymore. But his prayer is quite the opposite. And of course, here is a precious truth for troubled souls. Our Savior's prayer for us is the same. You abandoned him, but he didn't give up on you. You kicked him out of the throne room, but he still has so much compassion for you. Delusion and false gods have led us a million miles away from peace and prosperity. We all cry out, who will bring me prosperity? Who will fill me? Who will feed me? Who will bring me peace? Our king would have been perfectly justified in washing his hands of us, leaving us to our false narratives and empty promises. But hear his prayer. He prays for our blessing. Let the light of your face shine on us. It's an abbreviated um, prayer. It's an abbreviated version of a prayer, an old blessing from Numbers 6. It's how the priests were taught to Bless Israel. It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Even when rejected, King Jesus' desire for you is for the favor of God to rest upon you. This is the greatest blessing that anyone could ever ask for, to have the full attention of God on you to give you grace and mercy and peace. But it also results in material blessings as well. Um, In verse 7, the king's earnest desire is that their grain and new wine would abound. Jesus wants your search for prosperity to end with him because you have found in him everything that you need. In our small groups recently, you might remember if you were there, it's only a couple of weeks ago, we uh, looked at the story of how Jesus turned water into wine. And uh, it was the best, abounding wine. We learned that Jesus offers joyful life that is far superior to anything else. And we learned that ahead of us is an abundant feast that is beyond compare. That is what is ahead of us. That is what we can enjoy now. And that is what we can look forward to in the future. But this isn't just a prayer of blessing. Actually, the most precious, to me, precious thing to me here is that our king identifies himself with us, with his people. He identifies with us. At the end of a distressing day, even in exile, the king kneels by his bedside and prays for his people. There's no sense of um, me versus them. He he sees these people as his. Verse 6, let the light of your face shine on us, me and them, together, one. And there's no sense of joy in the fact that his people are struggling. Rather, verse 7, he still seeks his joy in their joy. Uh, Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. David, David is praying that he would be thrilled to see his people prosper. And that is what Jesus wants for us. How, how comforting to know that at the end of the day, that is what Jesus prays for you. When sleep escapes you, when distress crowds your mind, know that Jesus is figuratively on his knees praying for your good. If you have answered his appeal, then you are his. He sees you as precious to him. He loves you. You are one of his people and he longs for your good, the best good. No one can promise you a good night's sleep this week. It doesn't really work quite like that. But if you listen to this psalm, you will have peace. And that's going to help a whole lot. The king's distress means that we should give up our delusions. The king's appeal means we should trust in the sacrifice of Christ. And the king's prayer means that we can rest knowing that Jesus is so, so for us. Psalm 4 is a psalm of the king, but it's a psalm that we can join in too. As we sing about our king, we too can share in his peace and his security. We too can say, verse 8, 
in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I said the Psalms are going to transform us as worshippers. And my prayer is that in our distress, we would find peace as we learn to worship God at the end of the day for all these reasons that we've thought about this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for our King. Thank you that his mercy, his, his peace, his blessing is just so for us. Thank you that even in distress, he, he cries out to you and, and identifies with us, his people. We pray that you would help us all to answer his appeal. We pray that each one of us would trust in his sacrifice alone. And we pray that as we face distressing circumstances this week, that you would give us your supernatural peace. Please help us to hold on to these truths that we've read in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.